Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Our guest today is Adrian Grabinski, who I'm kind of thinking should just become like the spirit animal or the patron saint for pretty much every skier out there. Now, I first got introduced to Adrian in Matchstick Productions' latest film, The Stomping Grounds, and originally, Adrian was not really going to be in front of the camera on this film. We'll talk about that a bit in this episode. But the one thing I know is that I was, I was watching this incredible film with so many amazing skiers. I found myself thinking again and again, I need to get Adrian on our podcast. And I don't really want to say too much about why I think that, but I will give you this. In the stomping grounds, Mark Abma calls Adrian the most responsible 21-year-old he has ever met. And then without giving you too many spoilers here, I promise you are going to find out in our conversation like why Mark would have said that and, again, why I wanted Adrian to be on this podcast. And if I did have to sum it up, this guy just loves skiing and he loves everything about skiing and running ski areas and fixing things. And trust me, Adrian is just somebody you are going to want to know. This episode of the Blister Podcast is presented by Avocado, makers of the Avocado Green Mattress and bed frames and really just increasingly all things that have to do with bedding and even now apparel. Now, as some of you know, I have put up on the site an article called Jonathan's Sleep Experiment. And this is something that I'm going to be updating pretty regularly. And I have added extra information about this avocado green mattress that I have been sleeping on now for quite some time. And so you can check the link in the show notes to this episode to learn more about my experience with the avocado green mattress and some of their other products. And you'll also learn about some of the other things that I have been doing, some of the other products I've been using to try to get better at this whole sleep thing. So for my own thoughts on this, you can check out this article, Jonathan's Sleep Experiment on the site, or you can go to avocadogreenmattress.com and check out everything that Avocado has to offer and some of the things that they are doing on the sustainability front which is really impressive. And now, it is my real pleasure to introduce you to Adrian Grabinski. Here we go. Well, Adrian, how are you today and where are you today? I am doing great. I am currently at home on James Mountain. I'm the caretaker, so I so I live up uh, here on the mountain. And Tell us a bit more about Shames. I have to confess, I was introduced to Shames in the most recent Matchstick film and kind of instantly fell in love with it. And then I was like, wait, who is this Adrian guy? Because he's fascinating. And I literally 
during the premiere of this film, which the the world premiere was in Crested Butte, like I pulled out my phone and was like, must have Adrian, need to talk to this guy on the podcast. So that's that's where this is like sort of uh, the origin story here. <laughs> but I'd love to hear you in your own words, talk to us a little bit more about Shames. Well, James is a, it's definitely a special place. It's, there's no other place like it on, on the planet. I'm, I've been really lucky and through my ski racing career, I've skied in a lot of ski resorts across North America, but I stumbled across James by chance and uh, I totally fell in love with it. Um, the snow, the community, the people, it's a, it's a very unique place. And talk a bit more about its location. Uh, so it's it's fairly remote. It's in, you know, the closest town is Terrace, BC, which is about a 45-minute drive. And it, it's up a, an old logging road uh, up the valley and and kind of perched on the side of a, a shoulder. And it only just barely scratches the, the terrain that uh, it accesses. So um, although Shames itself is not particularly extreme it it opens up to some world-class terrain very quickly and when is the first time you were at shames uh first time i was at shames uh was three years ago now yeah just uh you know i was going to go uh commercial tuna fishing in prince rupert and uh i had no idea there's a ski hill here and saw the sign, had to pull over, uh, me being a complete ski junkie. And uh, yeah, drove up the road, went for a hike, saw the train, and, and then did some research, heard about the snow. And then next thing you know, I sent my application in and was a ski patroller that following season. So you said that you are now the quote-unquote caretaker, but the original application was to be a ski patroller that was the job you were applying for three years ago uh yeah so i you know i'm still i'm i am the ski patrol director uh this year as well so i'm a bit of a jack of all trades uh in that regard i um uh, i help with maintenance on the lifts and then uh do the snow plowing in the in the winter early in the morning you know i 3 a.m. wake up calls and when there's lots of snow. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I throw my ski boots on and ski patrol for the day. And uh, yeah, that's kind of how my daily routine goes. So yeah, uh, you know, first aid, ski patrol, and then caretaker, you know, slash mechanic, maintenance hand. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You, you went quick through that list. I just counted five. Is that right? Is it kind of five? There's probably actually more than five, I'm guessing. But what were the five you just mentioned? Oh, well, you know, like I, I, in the summer, you know, I, I help with all the with, with some of the maintenance uh, on the snow cats and the chairlifts. And then, uh, you know, what I'm on call. So at night, I always have a radio on uh, in case the, the groomers uh, need a hand. And um, I plow the snow in the morning. Uh early in the morning there and and uh then i throw my boots on i uh ski patrol you know uh sort of get a plan going and and take a look at the weather and i you know i always have the weather in mind and i live up here so it's it's kind of drilled into me um and so yeah we'll make a we'll make a plan in the morning you know whether we have to ski cut or if there's certain tasks we have to do and then 
ski patrol for the day, do first aid when need be. And uh, yeah, kind of do some paperwork in the afternoons and start all over again. <laughs> so I don't know. I just kind of one job, but <laughs> I I just try to keep myself busy. <laughs> I'm actually shocked that you have time to talk to me right now. I mean, I feel like there's four important jobs that are not being done right now because I'm, you know, pulling you off of them. Uh, so um, I feel guilty and also privileged uh, right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a bit, it's kind of the off season now. Um, although we did have a lot of projects uh, on the go this summer, notably we got a new parking lot and a new uh, magic carpet, which will totally change the ski hill. Um, which, which are huge steps for a small ski hill like, like ours. And so that's been the big, biggest projects this summer. That's what's been keeping me busy, but I've taken a, a two weeks off, two, three weeks off here to, to sort of recuperate before the, the season. So I'm actually back to work tomorrow. This is like the last night of your break. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Before you like, it sounds from your description before you like go back to sleeping, basically not at all for the winter, it sounds like. So, wow. Again, I feel even more honored that this is, these are like the last waking moments uh, of your, uh, of your time off before you, you enter the storm again. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Uh, Yeah. I just need to build a little bit of mental fortitude and uh, go head on into the winter because it's, it's full on all the way through till till April. So let's talk a little bit about this. Again, I, you know, I was at the premiere of the stomping grounds in CB. And first of all, I mean, I I just completely loved the film. Matchstick has made so many great films over the years. And I swear this one is like real high up there for me. And, you know, there's so many incredible skiers in the rest. And I find myself watching this segment about Shames and about you. And I'm like... (laughs) This is fantastic. And so I'd love to hear your description about how all of this came about. Because I'm like, was there a little bit of like cinematic license taken here in the storytelling? So I figured we should get the story from the from the man himself here. Yeah. So, so well, first of all, you know, I, it, Matthias Fredrickson uh, is a, a Terrace local and, and he's he lined me up with, uh, the matchstick crew. So, um, he made that connection and, uh, yeah, they gave me a heads up that, uh, they were wanting a little tour of the ski resort. And so I showed them around best I could, you know, it, it does always, uh, slow things down when you have cameras going and, uh, and the camera crew. Um, but I, yeah, I toured, around shames for the for three or four days i can't exactly remember but uh showed them as much as i could and um yeah that was lots of fun shredding the resort and trying to communicate to them what kind of vibe shames is all about and then uh they totally surprised me uh i thought i was saying goodbye i thought i was uh you know (laughs) We're going our separate ways, and they invited me to go heli skiing at NEH, which was uh, which was huge. <laughs> yeah, so um, that was always it's always been a big dream, you know, to to go heli skiing, and then on top of that, to go heli skiing and filming is is incredible. So that was a, a an unbelievable uh, opportunity. And this was a true surprise. 
It was, yeah. When when they asked you to come with them. Absolutely, yeah. That was my my uh you know, first impression. <laughs> they got it all on camera. <laughs> and this was your first heli trip? Yes, yeah, it was. Yeah, you know, I grew up dreaming about it and uh that's how the first one unfolded. That's fantastic. So, okay, let's I mean, look, we're we're going to talk about your background. Pretty accomplished background. Let's let's be honest here. This, you know, you you know your way around uh around a ski hill a little bit. But let's talk about this. So you have basically Mark Abma saying, "Hey man, come on this heli ski filming trip with us." And you're like, "Wait, what?" I mean, so one, that's incredibly cool. But two, talk a bit about like okay, your first heli trip and your filming how you feeling about this? Yeah, I haven't had a lot of experience uh, with uh, photography or cinematography in the ski world um, in, in any regard uh, for that matter. And uh, so it was, a, it was a really cool experience to, um, to witness that and see, you know, the whole process of uh, the filmers and, and, how they are so talented in, in catching certain perspectives and, and, uh, you know, maybe amplifying in some ways, uh, what the experience is like. So that was really interesting. Uh, you know, from my perspective, I was just there to ski and, uh, do what I know. And I do have a, a racing background, so I know what it's like to have to perform under pressure. So that's quite familiar to me. Although, be it you know, in, in a different circumstance. Um, so, so I I just went out there and, and skied. Uh, the process, you know, was a little bit slow uh, to tell you the truth. Uh, it's not, <laughs> it's not like uh, like it all uh, happens in the movie. You know, there's we spent a good five days heli skiing, and out of that came uh, you know ten minutes of skiing or so. Uh, and we skied a lot of lines and we waited around a lot. Um, but that's part of the process. I'm, I'm used to, I'm used to skiing like, you know, 2000 meters of vertical plus ski touring. And, uh, when we're skiing like, you know, a thousand meters of vertical a day, heli skiing with a helicopter on tap that we could go anywhere, it does make me wish that we <laughs> maybe went a little further and skied a little bit more and maybe put the cameras away for a few descents. <laughs> I, I'm thinking about the fact that you basically have like, you know, eight jobs or something. So I'm like, we also know you're incredibly passionate about skiing. So I'm guessing that in your normal day-to-day -day life, you are like absolutely maximizing your ski time because you have all these other important jobs and tasks that like are demanding your attention. So I'm sort of guessing that, yeah, the whole filming thing would have, this is sort of the opposite of how I would assume a kind of radical efficiency that you tend to try to exercise when you do get the opportunity to just go ski for yourself. Is that about right? I guess from, from my own, like, you know, personal point of view. Yeah, that's accurate. But, uh, I also really do appreciate like the the experience of seeing the photographers and, and the cinematographers do their job. 
And uh, that's something that, you know, I have a lot of respect for, um, you know, notably working with Matthias Fredrickson, like he's such a passionate photographer. And although they're really slow days and we don't get much skiing, it's, it's incredible to be part of their creative process. You know, I have a lot of respect for the photographers and, and what they do. So, so it was, uh, an equally thrilling experience. Um, even though maybe I wasn't getting as much vertical, it was still very, very special. Let's talk about your background. Where did you grow up? Uh, so I grew up, uh, in Calgary, uh, Alberta. Um, but I spent most of my time in the Bow Valley, uh, you know, staying at friends and Banff and Canmore and skiing all the resorts there. And did you get into racing very young? Like was when you started skiing as a kid, did racing come pretty quickly or did you have a bit more of a free ride, you know, upbringing that, and then later got into kind of racing in particular? Um, so yeah, so my dad put me on skis before I could walk. <laughs> and, uh, so he kind of slapped me on some skis and pushed me down a hill. Our family wasn't very ski orientated and, and my dad kind of picked up that this was something that I was passionate about and, uh, that I was good at. And so I joined the racing program a little bit later. I want to say, um, you know, when I was 10, 11 years old, maybe 12 which is still quite young, you know, it's still really young. Um, but uh, some of the racers in Europe, they throw the spandex on. <laughs> Before they can walk. <laughs> as soon as they get yeah. out of the womb. <laughs> yeah. And, and I was very fortunate to join a club uh, at Sunshine, Sunshine Village, um, ran by uh, Jim Reed. And, uh, and I had some very special coaches that were, you know, true passionate skiers. Uh, not just passionate ski racers. So we would go out and we would train hard. We would smash some gates and ski as fast as we could can. And, and then we would in the afternoon throw the, the free skis on and just rip up some moguls, hit jumps, hit cliffs. And that in turn built a more all around capable skier, which, you know, helped progress a uh, ski racer uh in in its first in their versatility to attack uh different uh course conditions um different uh course sets and so uh i was really uh brought up to become a skier not just a ski racer how common or uncommon do you think that is because it it seems like sometimes rightly or wrongly or just in your own I'm curious about just your own perspective and, you know, the sort of scene as you grew up in it. I think it does a lot of times sound like, yeah, ski racers, man, we got to keep the blinkers on, right? It's it's just about the gates, right? And and the spandex, what you described sounds remarkably well-rounded and, well, smart. But do you have a sense of, did you have a sense of like, yeah, no, a lot of, a lot of the different kids who were you know, on different teams or training, they kind of had that well-rounded experience or were you like, no, they were keeping it a lot more singular in terms of a focus. Yeah, totally. I think we're, we're very unique, the club that I grew up in. So, uh, we were more all-rounded and, uh, all the other clubs in the Bow Valley were a lot more focused just on ski racing. 
Um, and that's a detriment at a young age, uh, like, you know, s- straight up, uh, I'm going to say like, it's not beneficial for the long term for a skier to be so focused just on ski racing and, uh, and skiing ice. Um, especially growing up, you have to experience those different snow conditions, uh, that variable terrain, you have to know how to be good in the air, how to dodge trees and and all of those skills can carry and make a stronger ski racer in the long term and then of course there comes a point uh you know when you're i'm gonna say when you enter fist so that's uh like u18 um or once you pass u18 uh that because the sport is so competitive you do have to sacrifice a lot of that free skiing to be more single mindedly focused on ski racing. Um, because now we're talking about, you know, half a second to, to gain 10 spots or plus. So you have to be a lot more focused. Um, yeah. And that's, that's sort of where I started to, I was, I was starting to move away from racing. You know, I was always sort of the black sheep. I was always the guy that no matter what event I would always bring my fat skis. I would always bring my powder skis, no matter what, you know, even, even if we're flying somewhere, I'm going to, I'm going to squeeze a pair of powder skis in my, my ski bag somehow. (laughs) And, um, and yeah, and that wasn't really looked upon super well, you know, people were amazed that, Oh, you know, you're going to go hit these jumps and do backflips and hit cliffs. But, um, you know, people were starting to think, you know, uh, you have to be more focused. You got on ski racing, you're going to get hurt doing, uh, free skiing and, and, uh, and not ski racing. But at the end of the day, I think it probably helped me not get hurt in ski racing. Uh, you know, it helped me understand the snow conditions better. It helped me understand, um, my ski setup better. And so I could be, more methodical in in how I approached my ski racing. By the way, there's a book I've talked about a bit in past episodes of this podcast. David Epstein wrote a book called Range, and the argument and there's he has a ton of evidence for it is really in keeping with what you're saying here, which is over specialization at too young of an age can actually have really detrimental effects in terms of the development of of a kid of a young person and he is laying this out and you sound very much like you were in that camp of like let's not move especially kids to this hyper specialization and sounds like that you always sort of in naturally or intuitively had that sort of sense or just dispositionally you were like, all of this stuff is fun. I want to do all of it. <laughs> yeah, a bit of both there, but you're you're absolutely right. I, I think, you know, in a, in a sport that's as competitive as ski racing, to be the world champ, to some degree, you do have to specialize at a very young age. And that's kind of like your calling. If you're going to be a world champ, you're going to have to start ski racing at a young age and and develop all those skills over time. You won't ever find a a ski racer 
in the World Cup. Maybe I'm wrong, but you won't find a World Cup ski racer uh, that started skiing, uh, ski racing uh, at the age of uh, 15. You know, um, by that time, you already need to have those bases. Um, but if that's your calling, if you're going to go become the uh, World Cup champ, you're going to have to sacrifice your entire life. That's your entire meaning is going to be to achieve that goal. That came increasingly evident, you know, when I was racing on the Alberta team and it was a year round program where my entire year was dedicated to, in the grand scheme of things, gaining like not even half a second per run. And it sort of puts everything into perspective. Like uh, I'm sacrificing right now, kind of the best years of my life so that I can be half a second faster down a run. And, you know, that's, and that's incredibly, I have a lot of respect for the people who do that. I absolutely have a lot of respect because it, it takes a lot of guts to be able to say, yes, this is what I'm going to do. But at the same time, you know, there's so much more to experience. <laughs> yeah. So you just found yourself thinking, yeah, I, I don't want to hyper-focus. I'd rather keep it broad and experience a, a broader range of stuff. I mean, even even in just the skiing itself, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I started ski touring when I was ski racing and uh, that's when I really, you know, started, uh, you know, I, I really felt my calling. I, I felt like uh, this is where I want to be. I want to be walking in the mountains and skiing untouched lines. And then also, you know, all the opportunities it's given me outside of uh, skiing as well. Um, you know, working in, in many different industries, working lots of seasonal jobs. I've gained lots of experience and lived through some, some pretty cool things. So I wouldn't have been able to do that with, you know, if I stuck with ski racing. So two questions. When did you first start ski touring? And when did you actually kind of give up ski racing? Um, I think I started ski touring, um, with a good friend of mine, Liam Wallace, who's now on the national team. Um, when I, when we were like, uh, six, 16 or so. And then I, I stopped ski racing when I was, uh, 18. Yeah. And that's, that's quite young, you know, but, but I, I saw the path that I was headed if I stuck with ski racing. And uh, I didn't want to stick with that. And how old are you now? I'm 21. 21. That's what Mark Abma says in the movie. This is one of my all-time favorite quotes now from any movie. Abma goes, you are the most responsible 21-year-old I have ever met. <laughs> <laughs> that just uh, killed yeah. me. And I'm not, you know, I'm not prepared to disagree with, with Mark. But that just killed me when he said that. <laughs> yeah, it was it was quite funny uh, actually when when we were making introductions and well, you know, this was actually like two or three days into skiing with with the gang with the uh, the, the the blondes and, and Mark. We we're talking about age and how you know they're all saying how old they were and yeah, I'm 21. And and Mark straight up looked at me and started laughing. <laughs> he thought it was a joke. <laughs> It's like, oh yeah, I'm 21 too. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Had you met Mark before this trip? No, I haven't. No. And you know, to, to tell you the truth, um, 
I haven't watched many ski movies. Uh, and although I'm an extremely passionate skier, uh, I, I'm passionate about the skiing, not, not necessarily the watching other people skiing. Although I, you know, that's amazing and I love watching it and it's great, but I, I don't, don't go to go watch all the ski movies. So I knew about Arc, Mark Abma, but, um, yeah, I, I didn't really realize how, how huge he was in the, the scene. Yeah. 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 It's, it's funny. Like I, I'm, I've grew up my entire life skiing and I, I just sort of, not necessarily avoid, but don't find it as uh, entertaining to, to watch the skiing. Some people like watching, some people like the doing. Yeah. Fair. So talk a little bit about what you were doing then. So you walk away from racing and while I'm not, you know, the best at math, you walked away at 18, you're 21 now, and you said you've been at Shames for three years now. So you quit racing and pretty quickly found this position at Shames, a, a job opening? Well, actually, you know, my math might be wrong. I think I quit at, at 17. And then at 18, I ski coached uh, at that original ski club that I uh, grew up skiing at, at Sunshine, Sunshine Village. Um, so that would have been 18 and then 19, 20, 21. Yeah. Those three years were spent at, at James. Cause you, you mentioned all these seasonal jobs you've worked and I was like, okay, is that where the dude learned how to be like a mechanic and all, you know, all these other things you do now? Like when did you develop those skill sets? Has that been more on the job training at Shames, or was that from some of these prior seasonal jobs you held? I have a funny story about uh, starting to how I started to work on on mechanics, and you know, I was in high school and I uh, bought a motorcycle for five hundred bucks uh, without my parents knowing. Stole the minivan and and stuffed the motorcycle in the back of the minivan. And showed up at the house with a motorcycle. You know, my parents weren't too stoked on it. <laughs> but uh yeah, it was it needed some love and um I I pulled the engine out of it and I uh in high school I put a, a big piece of plywood in the middle of my bedroom and I carried the the motorcycle engine right into my bedroom and I disassembled it and reassembled it. Um, in my bedroom during high school. <laughs> and then, you know, I've had other experience, um, working, you know, in the, in the forestry industry, I've, I've tree planted for a few years. Um, I've worked, uh, in the mountain construction industry. Um, and that's a very versatile industry. You know, there's, uh, we're, we're, we're manning drills and, and and pluggers and um building you know uh, uh towers uh like we built a tower for the coast guard on gill island and and we put up rock safety netting and and so all of those things you know those develop uh skills mechanically and um and develop you know my my critical decision making because it is a fairly uh, unforgiving environment um and and with higher consequence um i've also worked on a on a commercial tuna boat 
for for summer um and yeah and and i've worked on worked ski hill maintenance and uh building building magic carpets and yeah bit of everything <laughs> yeah that is a that is a you you're describing a very diverse skill set here which again makes it all seem like you are uniquely well suited for uh for your current gig at shames <laughs> yeah yeah and i love it here it's uh it's i'm i'm very fortunate to to be in the position that i'm in how big or small is kind of the the crew at shames so you said like you're the director of ski patrol well how many ski patrollers are there so as of this year because of our increased gear count uh, i've hired one more patroller so um that brings our crew up to uh four ski patrollers and and then there's also a crew of 20 uh csp volunteer ski patrol blurs which which are amazing they they do carry a lot of weight and um they come in uh in rotations and and um help uh you know as much as they can so uh yeah that's the team and and there's you know uh the maintenance team which is uh like two three people um during the winter that that keep everything running and um yeah and then there's everyone in the lodge all the 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 cooks and the management so yeah it, it's it's a fair it's a quite a small team everyone knows each other really well and uh we grow we we work tightly together i'm very curious what kind of hours you keep like during the season like m- most days are you getting up at a pretty set time and going to bed at a pretty set time or or, or you just again don't ever go to sleep <laughs> yeah sleep is hard to to come by in the winter but uh no like yeah it it depends on the snow that's uh that what that's what determines when i wake up so if if we have like you know if we have a meter of snow overnight i'm waking up at at 3 a.m. uh to get all the all the plowing done and then at night i uh you know if if i find the motivation i'll do a bit of paperwork and uh I keep an eye out on the parking lot to to make sure that all the cars are gone, uh, you know, just in case someone gets stuck in the backcountry. So, yeah, I keep an eye out there. And, and sometimes that means chasing people around and trying to get them, uh, you know, off the mountain and safe. Uh, but I, I usually try to go to bed pretty early, around 9.30 or so. <laughs> Got to try to get your five and a half hours. <laughs> three three o'clock's coming soon. <laughs> having you know, having spent a decent amount of time at uh, you know, some smaller ski areas, I have to kind of ask, like, what is the kind of social pressure? You know, some people want to get together, maybe have a couple beverages. Sometimes there can be a lot of discouragement. You know, when people are like, dude, I'm trying to go to bed at 930 because I got to get up at three. Do you face that kind of pressure a lot? Are you are you good at at running away from it? Tell me. Uh, tell me that dynamic. It's shames. Well, yeah, no, there's a great crew and, you know, people are often having a good time in the parking lot. COVID put a little bit of a it slowed things down for sure. And, and we we're more careful with that. Um, 
this past season. But uh, the previous caretaker, uh, Robin, who's uh, a bit of a party animal, he he put put one rule down on the table. He's you know as as long as you go to bed before the groomers show up, you're good for the the day. And so that's usually midnight when the groomers show up. <laughs> okay, I like that. Do, do do people sort of abide by this? That's yeah, no, that's mostly just me uh, for as living up here. Just you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, there'll be right. there'll be parties going in the wee morning hours in the parking lot. So, man, it just it just everything that you're describing here, and again that we kind of see in the stomping grounds. It seems obvious that you are just. <laughs> really giving yourself to shames right now. But I am kind of curious if there are other portions of North America or outside of North America where you're like, man, I would just love to go ski there sometime soon. Or have you kind of shelved that because you're really about this one place right now? That's a hard question to answer because there is so much to explore here. It, the the backcountry is really endless and so much of it hasn't been explored. And so it's been amazing exploring as much as I can in the past uh, few years. But I've had a, a long time dream, long-term dream of going to Kyrgyzstan and uh you know visiting the the Karakol range and seeing those mountains so so i'm hoping you know i'm hoping this spring maybe i'll head there ooh this spring uh, hoping to <laughs> are you are you already scheming or are you just in the like i think the term is like manifesting stage right now just trying to like you know dear universe can this somehow come around or are you a little further along than all that uh no I've I have my plans <laughs> I've looked at this for a while, um, but it's just you know given the right opportunity I got to take advantage of of that time and and just commit to it. There's always more work you know I just need to find that time to go explore. That's a great answer. Wow. Well, hey man, on your last evening before it all begins again, I'm I'm actually a, sort of shocked that you uh, that you took this time to to talk to me but I'm grateful and and I got to say I mean there are so many amazing skiers in the stomping grounds and some who I know personally and love and it was just so cool and fun to get to learn a bit about your story and to see like Abma's genuine respect and kind of enthusiasm for like man this dude adrian it, it's it was a very cool and it all came off in a very sort of authentic kind of way and as you've said here like yeah it was definitely authentic because you're like i didn't know what was going on <laughs> but that that stuff is great man and and i i did i i pulled my phone out during during the film and I wrote your name down as like, I want to talk to this guy at some point. And so um, I'm, I'm really glad that we made this happen. And I, it is fun to talk to people that just have this infectious passion for the sport. This conversation, I think uh, conveys that quite clearly uh, as does the film. So um, yeah, man, it's a pleasure to, to meet, man. I am wishing you all the best this coming season. Thank you. Yeah, that was a yeah, that was a great talk with you and I, I appreciate your enthusiasm.
best of luck. All my fingers are crossed now also that one, you have a great season at Shames, but that you also get that Kyrgyzstan trip. That would just be the coolest. I've, I've, yeah, I, I've only heard amazing things about that, that place and kind of th- the areas around that place. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping you make that happen. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I sure hope so too. <laughs> all right, Adrian, it's great to connect. All the best to you and uh, hope to talk to you again down the line. Thanks. Yeah, talk to you sometime soon and yeah, have a good season. Thank you. You too. And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Blister Podcast. I want to say thanks to Adrian for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Colorado, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will be talking to you later this week over on our Off the Couch podcast, our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast, and... Finally, on Friday, over on Gear 30. Take care, everybody.